Oh, good morning. Um, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone along with Campbell. And today we're looking at Psalm 19. And as we look at Psalm 19, let's commit our time together in prayer. Please pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. In them we see a rich theology of your mighty work. Our Father, we pray, be with us as we look at Psalm 19. Our Father, help us to be attentive to your word and help us as we study your word to get a pic better picture of who you are and who we are. We pray this for in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Christian life is easy. Reading the Bible, a walk in the park. A prayer, it comes as naturally as breathing. Uh, depending on God for all our daily needs. Relying on self, not relying on self. And relying on his, own, on his strength. That's child's play. Saying no to sin and yes to God. Ha! Huh, we could do it in our sleep. Uh, the Christian life is easy. Uh, who else feels this way? Well, neither do I. I'll be honest with you. I think the Christian life is hard. A living for God and not for the world? Ain't no picnic. A putting sin to death every day? Oh, that's impossible. A taking up my cross and following Jesus? A Sundays it feels like pushing a boulder up a hill. Uh, the Christian life is hard. Uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that walking, uh, being a Christian is like walking on the narrow path. It's a path that is difficult to walk on, and few will be able to walk on it. He said people will rather walk through the gate that has a wide path, a, gate that is, a path that is easy to walk on. And to those outside, those outside the Christian faith, they see the Christian life, and they see the difficulties. They see that it is a killjoy. They see the burdens. So it comes as no surprise why they have hardened their hearts. It comes as no surprise why many in our society have become proficient in taking God out of the equation. I would suggest that our society has been very influenced by modernism and secular humanism. Our modernism is a way of thinking where reason and facts dominate how we think. And secular humanism is a, is a way of thinking where we have elevated humanity we have elevated humanity to a high and lofty place and have deemed ourselves to have all the answers rather than God. Our friends, what we have effectively done as a society is that we've taken God out of the picture. Why? Uh, because we don't want to acknowledge that he's there. To acknowledge that he's there is to acknowledge that he's in charge. To acknowledge that he's in charge means I'm no longer in charge. And if I'm no longer in charge... Well, that means I have to do the daunting task of following him. It means I have to walk along the narrow path, that path which is difficult, that path which is hard. Uh, there are many in our society that appreciate too much their own autonomy. So they shut their eyes to what is clear and plain to them. I don't think as a church we're going to start pushing God out of the picture. However, I think we can fall into the trap of wanting to distance ourselves from God's in certain social gatherings or situations. 
pushing God out of the picture when we find it too difficult following him among certain friends or family, perhaps at work or even at school. We'll push God out of that social situation because we've deemed it too hard. But to deny God, to live without God, would have grave and terrible consequences. Jesus says to walk along the path that is through the wide gate. Such a path is easy, but it leads to destruction. What we need, friends, is to be reminded about the benefits of living under God's rule. And that's what our passage does today. That's what the psalmist does for us. Our passage is a psalm of David. A psalm is a sacred song. And our psalm has been attributed to King David. And this psalm suggests that it models, this psalm models for us godly living. It models for us wisdom. Here the psalmist is reminding us the benefits of living under God's rule. And he does this by reminding us of three things. First, he reminds us of the majesty of God's creation. Second, he reminds us of the beauty of our Lord's word. And third, he reminds us of the value of our Lord's instruction. Uh, Let's have a look at the first of those three reminders, shall we? Number one, the majesty of God's creation. Here the psalmist reminds us in our passage of the splendor of creation. I don't know about you, but I can often forget to stop and smell the roses. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, Last year, I was bushwalking with a few mates. Um, I don't bushwalk very often. And so as I was walking, I was so focused on keeping pace with them, of not falling behind. So you know what happened, don't you? I became so focused on keeping up, so focused on not falling behind, I forgot to look around me and see God's creation. I barely noticed the greenness of the trees. I didn't stop and smell the clean air around me. I didn't give praise to God and how he is sustaining the world around me, how he's making the trees grow. He's looking after the wildlife. I didn't stop and smell the roses. We experience this far too often, don't we? How do we fail to miss it? How do we not enjoy God's creation when it's right there? Well, I think the problem is we allow ourselves to be so focused on tasks that we forget the world around us. We forget to look outside the window. We forget to go outside and enjoy God's creation. We forget to stop and smell the roses. And when we fail to stop, we can so often forget to give praise to our Creator. And the psalmist wants to remind us not to do this. The psalmist wants to remind us of the majesty of God's creation. Uh, Look what he says in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 19. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Uh, I was outside a, a few nights ago with my daughter Abigail. Abigail is three. And she looked at the stars before her. I don't look at the night sky very often. But to my three-year-old, she was awestruck 
She saw the great expanse before her and she couldn't help but say, Daddy, look at the stars. Our friends, as we look out, it's really hard to imagine the world around us as just happening by chance. For if we see the expanse before us, whether during the day or during the night, we cannot help but see the glory of God, the work of His hands, the expanse above speaks of her creator. But then what does our passage tell us next? Well, let's have a look at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 say this. Uh, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Um, there's a weird paradox here, isn't there? On the one hand, the voice can't be heard. But on the other hand, this voice is declaring God's goodness and it's going out across the world. Uh, what are these verses saying? Uh, what the psalmist is perhaps suggesting is that there is a subtlety to creation's voice. Uh, for some, we will see the expanse before us. We see the sky, the star, the moons. And then that's it. I think there are those in our society, they will see the beauty of creation. They can appreciate the beauty before them. But then that's it. And they fall short. They don't see the link between creation and the creator. Now, why does this happen? Well, I think the book of Romans has the answer for us. Um, if you were here last week, Campbell gave us an overview of the book of Romans to whet our appetites to the Romans course that we have here on Tuesday nights. And Campbell, during his sermon, reminded us about the sinfulness of humanity. In Romans 1, we are told that God has been made plain to us. Through his creation, we see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. Our friends, we are told that we have no excuse, for we have all seen God's mighty acts. But what has humanity done? Well, instead of giving praise to God, they have suppressed the truth of God with their wickedness. Humanity has shut their ears and through their wickedness have become deaf to creation's voice. Oh, what about us? Have we become insensitive to creation's voice? Uh, the psalmist says you can't miss it. As their voice goes out through all of creation. Uh, the psalmist then draws our attention to the sun. Day by day, the sun pours out speech. Look what he says in verse 4 to 6. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And nothing is deprived of its warmth. Uh, the sun in these verses is described like a bridegroom leaving his chambers, like a mighty champion running his course with joy. Uh, the descriptions before us are meant to illustrate vitality, youthfulness, energy, uh, but also a spectacle that can't be unnoticed. You can't miss it. A bridegroom leaving his chambers would have been known by the whole village. A mighty champion would be known by all those on the field 
of battle. And that's what the sun does, doesn't it? As we see the sun rise, it brings joy, it brings energy, and it's so obvious. We feel the sun's warmth, its rejuvenating effects. Our psalmist says, nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, the question is, if we have become insensitive to creation's voice, how can we become sensitive to it? How can we become sensitive to be God and so be enabled to see creation as designed by God, to be able to hear her voice and hear the praise of her creator? Well, this is only happens when God becomes our Lord and when we have a personal relationship with him. The psalmist shows us this in our second point. Our point number two, the beauty of our Lord's word. Let's have a look at verses seven to nine. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. I wonder if you notice the shift of language done here by the psalmist. In our first six verses, how did the psalmist describe the creator? Well, he described him as God. But here in these verses, he doesn't say God. He says Lord. To be more precise, the psalmist is using the divine name, Yahweh. This is God's personal name. It's his relational name. Uh, In these four verses, the psalmist mentions the divine name six times. Uh, This is meant to grab our attention. Uh, Did it grab yours? Our first six verses have sometimes been referred to as general revelation. Revelation that has been made known by God through the world around us. But God's word is known as special revelation. This means that we can know God through his word more personally. In God's word, he has revealed to us through special and extraordinary means what he has done, who he is, and who we are, and how we are to live for God as his chosen people. Uh, What does the psalmist tell us about God's word? Well, in these verses, he tells us that God's word offers correction, that God's word offers direction, And God's word is timeless. Uh, The psalmist says God's law is perfect. Um, The Hebrew word uh, Torah here in our passage has been translated as law. Um, It is suggested though by the commentators that a better rendering of the word Torah shouldn't be law. But here in our passage should be the word instruction. And I would suggest that this word instruction should be feeding us and telling us how we should see these other words. That statutes, precepts, commands, decrees, even the fear of the Lord should be seen as God's instruction. That God's instruction is perfect. It refreshes the soul. God's instruction is to be trusted, for it humbles the wise. Uh, What this is saying here is that God's word offers correction. Um, In the NIV, 
um, the Hebrew word that we have before us, shuv, has been translated as refresh. Uh, and God's word does refresh us. God's word does revitalize us. However, the word shuv is typically translated as turn back. That we are to turn away from what we have before us. And so the commentators suggest the psalmist could actually be saying that the instruction of the Lord will turn us back, turn us away from sin, that the word of the Lord, his instruction would lead us to repentance. And this rendering is supported by what our passage says next. And our passage says that the instructions of the Lord, which are true, will humble the wise. That as we read God's word, it will correct us. As we read God's word, it will rebuke us. And this is a good thing. But why is it a good thing? Well, it's good because the instruction of the Lord is right, giving joy to the heart. Because the instruction of the Lord is radiant, giving light to the eyes. Our friends, we are told that God's instruction, His Word gives us direction in how we should live our lives. Um, instructions are a very important thing and because they tell us how to do things properly. Uh, something I know I'm guilty of not doing. Um, I've been caught one too many times. You know when you get those flat pack boxes and you've got to put the furniture together? I'll see it before me and I'll go, I can do that by myself. And so you know what happens, don't you? After an hour of frustration, it's still lying there on the floor, just a pile of mess. So what do you do? You get the instruction manual and you start putting it together properly. Uh, this is a picture of life, isn't it? Uh, we can go through life, there is mess, there is frustration. Uh, there are things that go wrong, but what do we do? Uh, we try and work it out ourselves. Uh, but what happens? What happens is that we are confronted all too often with struggle, with roadblocks. Uh, how much easier would it be to just pick up God's instruction book and to read it? To be able to find wisdom and instruction from God's word? Our God's Word tells us what a marriage is meant to look like. Our God's Word tells us how we should raise our children. God's Word tells us how we should use our money, our time, and how we should see other things like work. Uh, the psalmist tells us that God's instruction will give us direction in our life. And His instructions also, the psalmist tells us, are pure, enduring forever, that they are firm, and all of them are righteous. Again, the psalmist is telling us that God's word, his instructions, are timeless. And they often say, um, if it's not broken, don't fix it. If it is, uh, they often say, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. But that is what we do, don't we? Uh, we want to reinvent the wheel and have everything else tell us how to live our lives rather than coming to God's word. And I think that's what our society has done, isn't it? They have been driven by modernity and secular humanism. They have reinvented the wheel. And what do we see around us? Well, I think we see dysfunction. I think we see chaos. Francis Schaeffer, a minister in the 20th century, said that secular humanism leads the humanists to have both feet planted in midair. Functionally, what he's saying is that when we push God out of the picture, we create a society that is filled with dysfunction, filled with chaos. 
Our friends, God's word is vital for us and it should be seen as such. It is something that shouldn't be thrown away like a wheel that needs reinventing. Our God's word needs to be seen as precious. I look what the psalmist says in verse 10. Verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Uh, The psalmist is saying here that God's word should be seen as the greatest gift that we could ever own or possess. Better than gold, sweeter than honey. I dare even say that David would say that God's word would even give a greater joy than sex. And yes, you heard me correctly, that God's word gives a greater joy than even sex. I don't believe me? Well, flick over to Psalm 119 with me. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in um, the book of Psalms. And under the heading Beit, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to the word. I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Now here's the joy of the psalmist. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Our friends, God's word is beautiful. It tells us who God is. It gives us great joy and tells us, most importantly, how we can live our lives. Look now how David tells us the value of God's word. Point three, the value of our Lord's instruction. Look with me now at verses 11 to 13. (coughs) By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Other psalmist knows his struggle with sin. He knows the sins which are prevalent in his life. He knows his hidden faults and his willful sins. Our hidden faults are those sins that are done in secret. The desires of the heart and the mind. And if people knew that we desired them, that we wanted to do them, they would destroy us. And those willful sins, those willful sins are a sin that are seen by those around us. Are they open rebellion, a lie, a parking ticket, arguing against parents, exasperating children? But what does the psalmist say about all these sins? Well, he says that sin can rule over us. And that's what Paul says in Romans 1, isn't it? That when we suppress God's word, he will hand us over to our sin. And our sin will rule us. Our friends, the only way we can escape the struggle of sin is through the instructions of God. To let God rule our lives rather than sin. The psalmist says, by the Lord's instructions, we are warned and corrected. The wise are humbled. Through the instruction of God, they are directed. They are told how to live properly with the blueprints that God has given them. And in God's instruction, 
there is great joy. Uh, the psalmist knows this. He knows that without God, he would be left with two feet planted in midair. For on his own, he cannot adequately direct his life. Uh, through living out God's instruction, the psalmist wants to be made blameless. A life that is obedient to God and his will for him. The psalmist then ends with these words. Look at verse 14. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, the psalmist desires to praise his creator, to be led by his Lord through his instruction. He does not want to stray from this instruction because he sees the value from it. He wants to do these in response to what God has first done for him. Look how the psalmist responds to God. He says, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our friends, King David knows what God has done for him. In God and our Lord, we have our rock. Now, this is a theme that was developed in Psalm 18. David speaks of God as his refuge and his strength. That is not only able to help him conquer his enemies, but also help him to walk a blameless life before the Lord. Our God provides the means for David, and he knows this, to be able to conquer both his hidden and willful sins. Uh, in God, we also have our Redeemer. A Redeemer is someone who is responsible for paying the price for a family member that has fallen into slavery. David is saying God has become as close to us as a family member. One who is able to redeem us. Redeem us when we fall on hard times. When sin has overtaken us. God is able to redeem and help us out of our situation. Our friends, we see our rock, our rock and refuge in Jesus, don't we? We see how Jesus did this for us perfectly. In him, we were redeemed fully. On that cross, Jesus bore the punishment of our sin. And upon him was God's wrath poured out. Uh, through his life, death and, death, and resurrection, Christ took us from the path that was leading to destruction, from that wide path, and put us on that narrow path. A path, though difficult, leads to life. In Jesus, he is our rock. He is the one who gives us the strength. And he continues also to intercede for us. He continues to mature us. He continues to grow us so that we can have the strength and energy to overcome sin. Uh, Jesus enables us not only to read his word and to understand it, but he gives us the means to be able to live it out. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our redeemer. So how, friends, how should we leave and respond to our rock and redeemer? How should we leave having been reminded that we need to live for Jesus, that we need to live under God's rule? Well, our passage tells us this. It tells us to live godly lives. Lives that heed the warning of sin, but also lives that are devoted to God's word. That the only way we can do this is by finding joy in God's word. As seeing it as something relevant, as something that is precious. Better than fine gold. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Something that would give us more joy than even sex ever could. And the only way to start doing this is by reading God's word. And not just reading the words, 
but pray that as you come to God's word, that you will be strengthened. As you come to God's word, pray that your desires will be quenched. Just as a person is suffering from dehydration, finds comfort from water, pray that as you, and as you come to God's word, that God's word will fill you, that it will refresh you, that you will be quenched from any spiritual dehydration that you may have. Come to God's word, friends. See that it is vital. See that it is precious and necessary for your Christian walk. Uh, let me end with this. As a society, we have reinvented the wheel. We have pushed God out of the picture. We have become a society that is in search of hope, a society that is in search of me meaning. And many are asking, who am I? And they don't know where to find the answer. But we have the answer. We know who we are. We know the hope we have. We know how we are to live our lives. I know the Christian life can be hard. I know it's not a walk in the park. And I know that taking up your cross and following in Jesus can be like pushing a boulder up a hill. But gosh, it's worth it. Walking on the narrow path is worth it. For we don't have to deal with the hardships that are being lived out by those around us. We do not have to deal with the hopelessness. We don't have to deal with the search for meaning. For in Christ we have been given meaning. We have been given hope. We have been given God's instructions. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Being a Christian can't be hard. But with Christ he makes our burden light. And being a Christian is far easier than not being one. A living for Christ, we're able to deal with the challenges, the dysfunctions that is around us, because we know whose we are. We know what Christ has done, and we know that he's continuing to work in our lives, strengthening us. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. For friends, if we live under God's rule, if we live under the lordship of Christ, then we can live out the Christian life. We can thrive in the Christian life, and we can overcome the challenges that are being faced by those around us. How about I pray? Our Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the reminder of what it means to live under your rule and your authority. Our Father, we pray, forgive us for the times when we push you out of the picture. Our Holy Spirit, we pray, work powerfully in our lives that we would desire and continue to live for Jesus in all areas of our life. Our Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would continue to transform us more and more into the image of your Son. And through that conformity, we would live lives that are pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen.